1: A Symantec study prompts a question. We know there's an attacker's advantage, but could there be a counter-attacker's advantage, too? Juche may not extend to the Internet, at least for Pyongyang's leaders. Iran's copy kitten is characterized as unsophisticated but nonetheless effective. Mac users are awakened by FruitFly, and the FBI is investigating. Adobe tells us to begin saying goodbye to Flash. And some notes from Vegas, because what goes on in Vegas does not stay there. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, July 26, 2017. We've often heard about the attacker's advantage in cyberspace. The conventional wisdom, and its well-founded wisdom, is that the cyber attackers have the advantage. They only need one good attempt for success. All their failures matter not a bit, at least not as much. But the defenders, you have to get it right all the time. One failure, and that attacker's in, and probably out before you know it. So here's some food for thought that may serve to put the usual threat news into perspective. Symantec has taken a look at some prominent advanced persistent threat groups and found that their tools tend to be buggy. The security firm quietly suggests this could be turned to the defender's advantage. Consider it the counter-attacker's advantage, and remember, as any graduate of the Leavenworth short course would tell you, that a counter-attack is a defensive operation. There's no suggestion here of hacking back or of cyber-mark and reprisal. North Korea is famously isolated, but what about its rulers? They're about as connected as anyone else, according to a recorded future study. Pyongyang's elite are assiduous users of Facebook, YouTube, and Amazon to pick just three attractive Western services. Perhaps because they wish to maintain situational awareness of imperialist atrocities, although on reflection one is reluctantly moved to skepticism. It seems they like cat videos and next-day delivery as much as the inherently evil American or rapacious Japanese plunderer. Who knew? This seems inconsistent with the Juche spirit of collective solidarity and self-reliance, but it may provide some insight useful to any elements of the civilized world interested in counter-value targeting in cyberspace. Also in the study are some interesting observations about North Korea's use of foreign networks, sourced by Recorded Future to research done by Team Saimru. Chinese and Indian networks are most commonly exploited by Pyongyang's mix of espionage and criminal operators. They also use networks in Kenya, Indonesia, Mozambique, Malaysia, and Indonesia. Various looks at Iran's Copy Kitten operators are reaching a consensus that they're not highly skilled, but that they've been effective at espionage nonetheless. ClearSky and Trend Micro report that Copy Kitten's Wilted Tulip campaign has successfully exfiltrated data from a range of regional, European, and North American targets. The fruit fly malware found to have been infesting Apple products is an odd one. MacRumors calls it old and possibly abandoned. But the FBI is investigating. FruitFly is, or was, essentially criminal spyware. Adobe has announced that it will finally retire Flash. The software has been an important part of the Internet for two decades, although its second decade has been marked by an unwanted role as an often-exploited attack surface. But now we can all begin our goodbyes, although they'll be long goodbyes. Adobe has scheduled Flash's final retirement for 2020. When it comes to securing ICS and critical infrastructure, one of the challenges is communicating securely with devices that are physically spread out. One company working on tackling that problem is Full Spectrum, a provider of private licensed wireless broadband networks. Stuart Cantor is CEO of Full Spectrum.
2: It's not just the electric grid, it's pipelines, uh, water pipelines, wastewater, uh, oil. And so you have all this infrastructure out there that needs to be managed historically it was uh, managed over these dedicated phone lines and now you have the capability to do pervasive computing very low cost uh, devices um, at the grid edge or any any infrastructure edge and how do you communicate with that device uh, and collect the information in a secure way one easy way would be well let's just go wherever there's cellular coverage let's just go get some cellular modems and we'll throw it on the public internet and then we'll have access. And so that's what's introducing some of these vulnerabilities to the various networks because most likely it'll have a, a public IP address or it's the source is a public IP address that's being converted to a local address. You're now depending on uh, the infrastructure of these large companies that are vulnerable to all sorts of attacks. Our customers are, are large electric utility companies using our equipment to create their own private wireless internet over very large areas.
1: And so uh, just from a, from a security point of view, uh, when you're dealing with radio signals with RF, uh, what's to keep someone from tossing up a mast antenna and intercepting communications or jamming them or you know, trying to, uh, to insert their own data into the line?
2: Correct, so there are vulnerabilities there in, in all the technologies. Uh, so in, in our aspect, you know, they, uh, we do encryption over the air, they also do VPN, so there's multiple layers on the air interface protocol. We have the capability, uh, we're, we're what they call software-defined radio technology, and uh, the construction of even the data frame is unique to the customer. So it makes the ability to hack a system very, very difficult. Our customers are using frequencies that were legacy paging frequencies, legacy television frequencies, things that have been abandoned over time. And with our technology, we repurpose those licensed frequencies for them, where they own, operate, and control the frequency. So for example, if they find that their signal's being compromised in a certain area, the FCC is responsible to go out and find that interference and shut it down. There's a layer of of even enforceability from the government. And then uh, we also have other capabilities in how we dedicate traffic uplink and downlink. So there's a whole host of designs that can be implemented over the network that allow layers of redundancy and
1: security. That's Stuart Cantor from Full Spectrum. Keynotes at B-Sides yesterday in Las Vegas highlighted calls for true multidisciplinary cooperation on the very large-scale problems we face in cybersecurity. The disciplines that could make a major difference would prominently include economics, behavioral sciences, and machine learning. Endgame gave an interesting talk, Destructive Malware and Interstate Rivalries, the Evolution of Digital Weapons and Geopolitical Conflict. Andrea Little-Limbago and Mark Dufresne gave attack timelines and details of destructive attacks, with an emphasis on the destructive as opposed to the merely intrusive, from Stuxnet to recent attacks centered on but extending beyond Ukraine. Limbago put the incidents into geopolitical context by describing the various rivalries that created the conditions for the attacks, a smart pairing of the political and the technical. In general, the atmosphere at B-Sides has been easygoing. It's free, the teachers are volunteers, and the attendees struck our stringer as passionate people who care about security and at the same time like to have fun. Therefore, we had a chat with the B-Side's bartender. She told our stringer that the most commonly chosen morning beverage so far has been beer, followed by Jägermeister. Our sociological desk suggests this means one thing. Young crowd, college drinking habits. Around 10.30 local time, the first Jack and Coke was ordered up being Jack and Coke and not vodka and cucumbers suggests that the demographic is more American than Russian. So cheers, B-sides, and be sure you designate a driver or hire a Lyft or Uber or a taxi. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Jonathan Katz. He's a professor of computer science at the University of Maryland and also director of the Maryland Cybersecurity Center. Jonathan, welcome back. Uh, you know, we saw a story uh, from Wired Magazine. It was talking about some physicists uh, trying to do some work with quantum cryptography. They were using lasers in an airplane. Uh, before we get to that part of the story, can you just give us an overview about quantum cryptography?
0: Sure. So so I think most of the cryptography we're familiar with is classical cryptography, where you're doing classical computation uh, on classical information. And quantum cryptography is really interesting because it uses uh, the fundamental laws of quantum mechanics in order to build a a, a protocol. And what's particularly interesting there is that it's possible to build protocols that you can prove uh, unconditionally are secure against any possible attacker, quantum or not. So people are very excited about uh, using what's called quantum key distribution to allow two parties to set up a key uh, remotely, much like we do now uh, when we do key exchange when setting up an SSL or a TLS connection. Uh, and people are excited about the possibility of maybe doing that with quantum mechanics and getting uh, an invulnerable system for, for sharing keys.
1: And this is the, the that situation in physics where the, the measurement of the key actually changes the key?
0: Yeah, so basically the way that you can prove security of the protocol is by arguing that if an attacker interferes with the channel in any way, then that interference would be detected by, uh, by one of the parties. And so that's something that fundamentally is different from what you have in, in classical communication, where in theory an attacker could read all the bits going across the channel and neither side uh, can even tell that the attacker is there.
1: So what's going on with this story in particular? Why did they uh, have to use uh, lasers in an airplane uh, to do their tests?
0: Well, so uh, because it's based on quantum mechanics, you need some uh, quantum mechanical particle essentially that can act as a means of communication in the protocol. And one of the most popular uh, ways of trying to implement that is using photons, which of course means light, uh, which brings us to the lasers that you mentioned earlier. Mm. So what these people were trying to demonstrate is uh, how far apart the two parties could be while running the protocol. And so they were using uh, a laser and they were having one person uh, stand on the ground and another person flying around in the air to try to get a larger distance uh, between them. Right, of course, the challenge is you want something where the people are far apart, but yet they can see each other in a straight line. And uh, if they're too far apart, but they're both on the earth, then the curvature of the earth will make them uh, not be able to see each other by a straight line. But if one of them is flying in the air, they can get quite far away and still be in line of sight of the person on the ground.
1: So that's one of the challenges of this type of cryptography, is is being able to use it at a distance?
0: Yeah, very much so. I mean, for one thing, uh, it's very sensitive to noise. And so you need to be able to send these photons from one party to the other uh, over a large distance without having the signal being corrupted by the noise. And so currently, the uh, distance over which you can run these protocols is relatively small. And it's not yet to the point where you can imagine running this, say, between a user in Los Angeles and a user on the East Coast. So you
1: can't just send it along, say, like fiber optic cables, that sort of thing.
0: So people are trying that also, and people are looking at maybe using repeaters along the way to try to increase the distance. But this is still uh, very much uh, research that people are carrying out, and a lot of engineering work as well, to push it to larger and larger distances. But we're not there yet.
1: All right. Interesting stuff. Jonathan Katz, thanks for joining us. That's cyberwire.com slash survey, and share your feedback now. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations.